0: Started the episode yet? So, should have started yet? No, here we this go. Is... Now we're going to start the episode. Oh, this good. is the official beginning now, of the episode. Now I can tease it. Can you feel the difference? The uh, it feels the more massive official. difference.
1: Yeah, yeah. the red light better.
0: in the booth just turned on. It's on air, it's flashing. Actually, it doesn't flash,
1: just that'd be distracting. It doesn't flash, it stays. You want it, it to stay on because then you could think that you're going on and off the air.
0: Yeah, actually, I've I've been in a studio where it was flashing and that was a signal to me that it was uh, going very wrong. But yeah. anyway, this is uh Three Brothers Talking slash Two Brothers Talking uh, book club edition. Uh, I am David. I am Jeremy. You were ready to go with that. I would I didn't think if uh, or I thought maybe you wouldn't be ready to go because you're so used to waiting for Andrew to chime in. But presence of mind. You You know,
1: I am pretty good at my knowing my surroundings and being living on my toes now (laughs) with two kids.
0: (laughs) Always, always being able to hear out of the back of your, you know. There's always someone
1: crying, man. There's always someone.
0: Out of the uh, corner of your ear, so to speak, you can always hear what's going on. You're always present. Exactly. Yeah. You got, uh, you got two kids. How long have you had two kids now?
1: Like seven months? A little over seven months. Okay. So yeah, about seven months, a little bit over that. Gotcha. You're uh,
0: you're doing we're, you guys are doing well. We're you know? we
1: are filling our quiver with filling the quiver. That's right. I'm I'm all okay. about those I'm gonna have a high i I'm talking to Faith. We we're joking about having high capacity quivers, <laughs> which might need to be regulated <laughs> at some point.
0: <laughs> high capacity quiver.
1: That's good. <laughs> Psalm one two seven, man. High capacity, the high capacity quiver. quiver. He yes, only, it, only holds 10, it can only hold 10 rounds. <laughs>
0: I tell you what, I mean, I don't know how, but if God chose to give me more than 10 kids,
1: I can't oh, imagine. Man. I was listening to uh, someone the other day and like 11, and I'm like, dude, wow. Well, that's just a long time. Like, from like think about like, that's a long time for your wife to be pregnant. And then yeah. recovering, then pregnant again. Just yeah. mathematically.
0: Well, so doesn't uh, doesn't Vodi Bacham have, like, how many kids does he have? Doesn't he have, like, 12? Well, he does like They've
1: adopted a lot of them. Yeah. So, not saying, like, we're very pro-adoption on this podcast. <laughs> we so, are very pro-adoption, that's true. That no, wasn't saying anything other than the fact of his wife is not pregnant for all those adoptions. <laughs>
0: yeah. Kids. Boy, we're all over... Like, <laughs> neither of us can talk. But we're coming at you, like... Uh, at might the end of a, a long workday for both of
1: us, I think, right? Yes, it has. Been. I've been in me- I, I had meetings today, from basically about seven thirty till four thirty in the afternoon, and basically uh, then at the end of the day, I was like prepping for getting stuff ready. It's awful.
0: Yeah, meetings. I don't want to. Since uh, we have connections to your employer, um, and also my employer might listen to this, um, I won't. We won't get into graphic detail about meetings, but. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not a meeting person. Nah. Are you?
1: No, we, we have a Thursday is basically like allocated, like meetings, basically all on one project with like all our team and everything. So like Thursday on like, all right, we're going to work on this project all day. Like get stuff ready for meetings on and off with internal, external teams. Yeah. And we had, we both had, we had meetings this week where I we thought we were teams meetings and they were evidently on site meetings. And that's like, oh. very like, a, oh, we're not getting to Lewis center right now. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not gonna make it because it's like thirty five minutes away or forty minutes away. Yeah,
0: Lewis <laughs> Center, the uh, the Hollywood of mid central northern Ohio. That's what they That's call what? it. That's exactly it. How'd you know? You heard that too. Mm. The Apple of Ohio,
1: mm. the Big Apple City.
0: Yeah, but uh, yeah, we're both we're both coming out at the end of a long work day. Plus, Jeremy's got more
1: work ahead of him because they're sleep training. Um, yeah, it's going better though. I mean, yeah, like, a, yeah, I don't know how much detail you go into, but it's been easier than our other child. So that's good.
0: Into some detail. I mean, you don't need to go into more detail. Well, but Michael
1: was much, much more difficult. Like there were times yeah. Michael like, would be up literally the entire night and like wake up a little bit like and have a raspy voice and that they just feel awful. But like, uh, it like it he is.
0: actually wore himself out.
1: Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. But like Maddie has not had that problem. She usually wakes up once. And she's like a prolonged once and maybe like one other time, but it hasn't been, it's been rare. Yeah. So this has been good. It's just me falling back to sleep from the problem.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So Jeremy's in the middle of that. And, uh, my wife and I are still, we're like six, six months into pregnancy. Now, um, are we pregnant or is she pregnant? We, we collectively are six months into pregnancy, but she is the one that is pregnant.
1: Gotcha. That makes but, sense.
0: Yeah, but like it, as a stage of life, we're both in it. You're both you know, in that for the long stage haul. of marriage. Yeah, it's uh, starting to get more real, I guess. And oh, it's real. Getting the house is really starting to transform. You're which are doing is it good at home, because... right? Home birth. <laughs> no, that's not in the plans. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's for people with high capacity quivers. You know.
1: Well, I see the thing is we figure like we just learn how to do it ourselves and then we can like cut the doctor out of these places.
0: (laughs) DIY DIY. DIY
1: That's what you're going for. No, I'm not really (laughs) doing that. If my wife is listening, she's going to get me because I'm like, I am not catching like that's not going to happen. If I'm I'm down there, there's like a major emergency. (laughs) (laughs) Things have gone wrong. (laughs) Have you guys got everything painted yet?
0: Uh, We've got actually last weekend painted like three rooms in our house. The nursery, the baby gets the three rooms? Oh well, no, um, but the, uh, so my office, I had previously, you, if you look back at old episodes of our podcast, you'll hear us talking about my old office, which was my office until the baby came along. Then it was like, your office should be downstairs um, in the basement because the lots of reasons. So in the dungeon, David so I just meant there was a new room to paint, but now um baby's room is painted and it's time to uh now it's time to just buy and build things right like we're at the we're at the portion of the the room makeover where the only job is pick things out online ship them to our house assemble them and then the final stage is like you know find pictures to hang on the wall and things like that that's yeah. all my wife's department that's that, all the-
1: yeah well, you've done the registry yet. She registered at Target. so I think like Target, if Faithful, I'm sure it's already told your wife, if you add stuff to your Target registry mm-hmm. and people don't buy it, you can keep adding it to like a year after the pregnancy and just go in and buy it like the next day and still get the percentage off. That is it's not pretty bad. great.
0: Yeah. That's why people come to this podcast is to hear Target tips.
1: Target tips. I don't have very many. My Target tip is just let your wife do it. That's true. Uh, no, nah, I've done pretty, I've done better at that area. I think I and guess what, you have to ask her. Out, Picking out decor. No, no, I don't pick out the decor. I just supply the funds to pick out the decor or whatever. Gotcha. My that's job is that, yeah. to make sure there's a balance in the account. That's, that's black and not red.
0: Yes. I'm in the, I'm in the bookkeeping side and then I'm on the execution side and she's in the, uh, that's where I'm at. Yeah. So that's where, uh, <laughs> that's where Rachel and I are at. And then, uh, work and everything has been work plus the church has been just full court uh full court press for a little
1: while now i not even <laughs> halfway zone or man to man
0: uh it's man to man oh because it's even yeah zone is a little more chill but uh yeah man to man and uh, it's been we're coming to the end of that season uh, the end of that is in view which we're looking forward to god is really gracious to sort of line up relief especially in the work world right with um right when the baby is going to come which is awesome I so mean,
1: the baby could come late like a month late. Yeah, baby could come a month late and then we <laughs> just have more time
0: we just have more time to prepare
1: you know oh, okay that's right.
0: yeah yeah so that means that uh, jeremy and i are going to dust off the book heaven misplaced
1: <laughs> so no joke i've reread this chapter about three or four times yeah, we had a we couple like of And then we just kind of like didn't do it.
0: So full disclosure on my part, um, I haven't re- re- read it three or four times. Uh, so that means that Jeremy's read the content a lot. Yeah, and we'll I read see. it. I read it a once and even put out an outline with some yeah, show you're pretty prep. prepared. But it's been a while and uh, didn't have time to uh, reread it. So... That means that we're going to have an interesting mix of, uh, preparation on this. But anyway, chapters four and five, just to refresh for everybody, Heaven Misplaced is a book by Douglas, Douglas Wilson, Douglas J. Wilson. I don't know his middle name, but J. J sounds, uh, it's, it sounds right. It sounds classy. Douglas J. J. uh, Wilson. Anyway, Dougie does. It's a book about eschatology specifically post-mill eschatology. It's sort of a primer on what a, a biblical view of the time between Christ's ascension and his second coming. Um, it's his argument, a simple argument, for an optimism there instead of a pessimism, and it's his argument for sort of a post-mill structure. If you don't know what those words mean, we talked about them a little bit whenever we went went through chapter one of this book. Um, but there's obviously lots of really more in-depth resources that you can look into for that. Now, fast forward, not that far though, because we're on chapter four and five. <laughs> and so we're talking about tonight. <laughs> and um, we've also just haven't been podcasting a lot recently. So we might be rusty. But Jeremy's got sleep training tonight, which means that we're not going to take too long and I uh, oh, think like, they
1: should be able to stay awake longer.
0: Yeah, that's right. Well, that means we're already like, I think 10 minutes in or so here. So we got to uh, I think we get rolling on it, you know?
1: Yeah, we're 13 minutes in, but I don't so, know how much of that we are or are not using.
0: Yeah, that's true. So um, Jeremy, right before we got on, you were uh, talking about buying buying land building something for the next generation and before yes. we get into these chapters specifically uh just go ahead and kick around the idea because i cut you off and said save it yeah. a little oh, bit i didn't so, think we we're gonna okay well i don't know i think yeah. so so far some things that pretty why much why does why does this make you think I in this having
1: ways? so over a long haul so we, david and i have come out of i don't know i'd say more of the growing up is more of the evangel evangelic fish um you have your dispensational really all, you know, that's all you really have been taught from churches or, or sort of been a, it's all you really know would yeah. even sort of a left behind ish framework. Yeah, for not things. really a framework at all. It's more like a, well, I've read sort of enough to kind of, and you're not really thinking through how they all fit together or how books are written, especially different literature. I've read um, enough to be dangerous. Yes. Um, <laughs> enough to be uninformed. That's right. um, but so, and from that you get so much um more of a pessimistic view of mm-hmm. what's gonna happen here now. So you're like, okay, on this point of what's the point of building or legacy, basically the only thing you come down to legacy then is well, I seem to have enough for my next generation for, for my for retirement and then maybe a little bit for after I go and stuff, so that's all you're doing. But I think more so than everything, moving to more of the all mill and even post, reading the post mill and thinking through all this stuff is more of the optimistic viewpoint, which, especially listening to other people who've gone to that, um, eschatology, they're like, well, it's more optimistic, especially for men. You need that optimism. If you actually, it helps drive you to build change. Rather, like the world is, is not gone. Mm. Politics and all stuff, like God is still reigning over this. So we can build more, not just for our generation or our kids generation or our grandkids generation, but three or four generations out. Um, yeah. or just thinking through that. You're at least thinking whether it's going to be that way, not still learning a lot of stuff, still working through it. But you had the ideas and in there saying like, at least there's optimism, sit there and say, I want to build something that either like someone else needs to add on to this. Like there's a, um, I listened to some, some a podcast They're discussing how um there is uh I, I don't know where it's located but there's a cathedral where they've it got built over 400 years and it was built just by the town um mm-hmm. so that the kids and their family like they, they would go to work then they'd go after work they'd go build on the cathedral so it's kind of a hodgepodge but they had the view of like we're building something that's going to last forever and we're all gonna have a share in this like just like that that's something more so with building, getting land or whatever like a place where we call home, where our kids and families and friends can call home, and if there's ever anything going on, yeah, we have a so nest. I guess there's
0: yeah, there's something that this isn't to say that like if you're not post mill, you don't, you just never leave a legacy or you never leave a lasting impact or you have no interest in doing that because uh, neither Jeremy or, or I would just say squarely we're post millennial people. Right. We would say we would say definitively we are all millennial people definitively 100 percent yeah um, and uh, the post mill thing is something that has certain pieces of it that we think are beneficial and then there's other pieces of it that you know we have some more questions about which is why we're reading the book
1: yeah well um, and also going back to I think you were more optimistic than I ever was as far yeah. as an all mill and I was more of a pessimistic but I moved toward more toward optimism and also the sense of urgency to be praying and be more optimistic. Yeah. And also, I know countless people who are of the disposition who have believe, believed great legacies and have left great legacy personally Absolutely. and throughout church history. So like that's yes. also not to say that's not what I meant by that if they came out that way. Yes.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. I just think that's something that people, I want to be sensitive to that because whenever we talk about... Um, Whenever we talk about, like, a perspective, it's easy for people to jump to the caricature that they think you're painting of them. Right.
1: And we don't want to do that. Uh, Yeah. That was a mindset.
0: Yeah. And and I'm definitely optimistic by measure of self-defense because I am a very pessimistic person. I'm a very doom and gloom person. Likewise. and And so, I kind of need to buoy myself to a positive thing sometimes by way of own, like just causing to not be hopeless about things. Um, But so what we mean by, and I would agree with what you said there, that this viewpoint maybe gives a different encouragement to leaving a legacy is not that if you don't believe post mill or if you are dispensational, you have no, you know, just give it up. You don't believe there's any reason to care about anything on earth. That's not what, that's not the truth, but there is a certain motivation that comes from a belief that is either an all mill or post millennial thing, which is a belief that one, if you work hard and God gains ground, it's not just going to be lost in the end.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, by necessity, a pre mill or dispensational viewpoint sort of believes that any ground that is gained is sort of lost. Yeah. Or no ground before. is for
1: at least yeah. in this world, there's only ground ultimately lost until the second coming. Like that's yeah. basically the only real optimism is that point.
0: Yeah. So the, these covenantal sort of perspectives, um, and these qu- sort of optimistic sort of perspectives, or I would say just non-pessimistic ones. One, and they also, they, they first, they establish a belief that things will last. And two, they kind of establish a belief that this world, in a good way um, is the, is going to be your home. Not that like the world is your home now, but that this world is going to be your home. Meaning that God is going to overcome and renew this very world that we're on. Mm-hmm. Um, and he can and does and is, so goes the ideology he is using the saints in his mission right now as part of that work, yeah. and so it it gives you a belief of if I build something that's good and godly and gospel centered and gospel, you know, proclaiming, it's not just gonna, it's not doomed to failure, right? You know, um, it's not just eventually gonna be torn out. It could. It's not like I believe everything always gets better all the time. Right. But I don't, I also don't believe everything always gets worse all the time. Right. And those are, I think, the two extremes of eschatology that are plainly unbiblical.
1: Yeah. And that's ultimately, like, lately I've been seeing more and more, like, um, one of the things in my head, like, this one came up with John Knox's statement in prayer, um, which has been attributed to me, quoted multiple times saying, is, give me Scotland or I die. Um, just hmm. that viewpoint of like, I'm going to carve out this piece of land and I'm going to work as hard as I can to glorify God in this spot where you put me. And by the way, Johnny Knox was in prison for a while through that whole thing. Um, so that's just baller, like that that's mindset, a baller move to say um, from prison, give me Scotland. <laughs> yeah, or I die like I'm in prison to preach by preaching the gospel. I could be let out, but I have to stop preaching. So I'm not getting out. Yeah. Just that mindset, I guess, if they say we are supposed to be building something for the glory of God. And we might not see the ramifications of that in our lifetime. We might not get that inch, but we're gonna work hard to get that inch and in the yeah. best we can and build into that.
0: Yeah. That's um it's ultimately sort of goes, really we get the inch. That's right. <laughs> um so that goes I think that kind of leads into in a way that leads into chapter five of this. Right. But we'll jump into chapter four. Um, The beginning of chapter four, the first words are, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus was no isolated event. His return from the dead brought with it in principle, the resurrection of all things from the dead. The power of death, which had held the entire world in thrall was reversed at that point two millennia ago and the power of his new life has since then been working through the world the way yeast works through a loaf of bread. For this reason, we are children of hope. Then he goes on to quote Romans uh, eight. I'll just read this and people can read on Romans eight. This starts in verse 10. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. That's Romans eight, 10 through 11, obviously a pretty famous passage. Um, he goes on, uh, Doug, Doug goes on, now I'm calling him Douglas, not even meaning to, it's just like, it just feels classier to say. So, um, he goes on to argue this point that is on the next page and he says, so the creation longs for us to be clearly shown as sons of God, that's Romans eight nineteen. The creation was subjected to vanity and hope, verse 20, the creation will be delivered from corruption and ushered into our liberty which is that's a cool concept verse 21 for this reason the whole creation groans verse 22 and we christians with the first fruits of the spirit also groan for the resurrection for we are saved towards something and we wait patiently for that day of resurrection mm-hmm. because we are saved towards something we have hope and the spirit helps us in this groaning that concept of being saved towards something Mm -hmm. I think is a, I think it's a powerful, I think it's a meaningful view of our salvation. Mm -hmm. Um, It's easy for us to think that our salvation is a hyper individualistic thing. Like it just happens to us within our own bodies, within our own brains, Mm -hmm. our own minds, we get saved, And maybe that affects what we do, but we don't think about our salvation being a part of something bigger, and we don't think about our salvation leading to something greater. Yeah. And that that passage in Romans says over and over again that there's this cool connection between the redemption that God, like the redemption that is happening in people, um, in the resurrection of Christ from the dead is not just for people. But it's also for this world that we're in it's the beginning of the resurrection for the world like god yeah. isn't just resurrecting people he's rector- he's resurrecting all of creation
1: yeah and it's almost that like you don't have the promote so many things i think we have the idea we've been saved from death mm-hmm. um but the concept i guess of being saved toward life mm. as individuals as a collective and also i think more seriously than thinking it's like there's a lot of ramifications we they "My God died to build something for us to do something here while we're here. Not just to, not just cause we're going to get a reward in heaven for our good works, but uh-huh. we're supposed to do something here cause we're building something here. Like going back to the dominion mandate or anything like we are saved to do things. Like we are, we are able to rest so we can work. We're able to work so we can then rest um, while we work in grace. Like it's, it's a toward it's a, it's an advancing thing. Versus a retreating thing of from, mm-hmm. um, like almost if you think from versus running away from versus running towards, it's not an action as much as it's a. I don't say inaction. That's not the right word. A but, reaction. Um, or yeah, a- like it's a yeah. almost a. Um, yeah, like we are actively pursuing this salvation in mm-hmm. Christ. Like we are toward. We're moving forward still. Yeah. Yeah that
0: that goes into. This perspective that he's arguing for, which is a very resurrection focused perspective, I would say, um, whereas kind of like you pointed out, we're not just saved from death. I like how you said that we're not just saved from death. We're saved for life. We're saved for resurrection. Um, Wilson goes on to say the resurrection of the dead in, in Jesus started in the middle of history, mm-hmm. which is that might be some eschatologies in some perspectives might disagree with that. I don't know how you can, um, this verse, like in Romans eight, coupled with first Corinthians 15, when it talks about Jesus being the first fruits, Mm -hmm. the first fruits, that's a farming metaphor. And the first fruits are a part of the same growing season as the last fruits. That's the point of them Mm -hmm. is that they signal that the, they signal that the season has begun. You better get ready to harvest because they're, they're becoming
1: soon. But also the um, acid from the body is yet am um, present with the Lord.
0: Well there's that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I think is there's, there's what that means, the fact that we're in this one reaping season, is that we're we're in a mode of progress to that second day. You know? We're in a, a route of progress to the day of resurrection. Not to start a new season, but to really consummate the season that's already begun. Um
1: so, you and have this one is, season versus multiple seasons.
0: Exactly, yeah, um, one one resurrection of the dead. Um, and so, I love, I love what he says here about having this perspective of being resurrection focused. We're looking to a world made new, not because we deny the present world, but rather because we understand what is currently going on in this present world. Uh, this is location 452. All this will be dismissed as pie in the sky by scoffers, but we should not be swayed by them. Those who dismiss heavenly pies are not to be trusted with earthly pies. Um, he goes on to be talking about um, how this world is pregnant with that glory to be coming, which is a great way of explaining that analogy about you know birth pains um, that's talked about. But I mean, that's the truth about the heavenly pies and earthly pies. If we, if we're people that never believe in, if we're not concerned with the heavenly pies to come, so to speak, um, then we're not going, we shouldn't be trusted with things that matter right now Mm -hmm. because the things that matter right now do have a significance. And I think, I think that's a, um, I don't know that just, it kept on getting pounded into my head as I read this of are we are we fueled by the resurrection are we fueled by the consummation are we fueled by a belief that that resurrection is coming not just for us individually and for the church as a whole and also for the world that we that we look at every day like it really it really will be transformed and redeemed Mm-hmm. yeah and it's already begun that's that's the other part of it that's a a strong thing to consider is like i mean he goes on to say that the incarnation was the beginning of the great transformation that's how right. john describes it i love that
1: yeah and i thought right. his um the i i guess i, I like the line he's being a pie the if you dismiss earthly pies we shouldn't, these, those who dismiss heavenly pies are not to be trusted with earthly pies. Uh-huh. I just found it kind of a funny comment. Um, <clears throat> just the way it was written, which is exactly uh-huh. how he speaks when you hear him speak. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I think the idea of like being pregnant, like the, the, the relief will be great, but it will be a relief from the travail of this world. Um, and also this, as you go back a few pages, he says, we're not dismissing this present reality or this present world, but yeah. I understand that what is currently going on in the present world. Like this is, Building to something. This is a current thing. Like, and I don't know if it's this chapter or the next one where they discuss the um, resurrection being a private versus a public thing. Yeah, um, you have this one of like we understand that this is going much bigger. And throughout history, I mean, the gospel has been advanced through ways that people probably would not think it should be advanced. Like by yeah. how empires are built. Christianity yes. has never been that way great yes it was like you look at the byzantine empire and all that stuff in the crusades so take that the grain of salt but i'm saying those people were not following the actual godly christian path (laughs) (laughs) Um, of what they would be called to do but from like the greatest expanses of true christianity were because of sacrifice and hard work and glorifying god and the little things and the attitude of give me Scotland or I die or give yeah. me Ephesus, where I die or Ohio or I die. Um, yeah. Cause we understand that everything we do today has an impact, not just in the world to come and the new creation, but it's also the building of that creation, the resurrection of the dead here on this earth.
0: Yeah. And that's what's so that's, what's so fundamentally meaningful about it is that we have to stop thinking it. We have to stop thinking of it solely as Two entirely separate worlds. The reality of the resurrection and the consummation of the kingdom is that the kingdom, the, that resurrection is breaking into this world.
1: It's an invasion here.
0: Yeah, it's an invasion in. It's not, it's not that, um, at some point God just, you know, there's like a hard cut and a Mm -hmm. hard, a hard, uh, you know, a hard part, a hard cut where it just boom, this world's done, and then just it's recreated. It's recreated just like Christ was recreated, right? He mm-hmm. was quote unquote recreated through resurrection. It wasn't a new Christ, wasn't a new body. He like it was a glorified, transformed, resurrected version of what was to come because that's what is breaking into this world. And it's this world, the very end of this chapter says, talks about Christ, how amazing it is that Christ, God, came here into this world. He says, we need to understand the drift of this conversation. God spoke himself into our world and he did it in order to save this world. This world that he made, he did it to save this world that was ruined by sin. This means that, that was me commenting, now it goes on with Doug. Uh, This means that we cannot spiritualize our salvation. Christ brought it here, which means that we must must not try to turn it into an abstract belief. We must not be Gnostics. Christ was born into this world, into a town that is still with us, (laughs) in which many of us have visited. Christ lived his life in this world. He was Mm -hmm. crucified here, and in his resurrection, he planted this new life in the middle of this dead world and promised his his Father it would grow and spread. Spiritualizing it or relegating all this to heaven in some future age is a very tragic form of unbelief. Christ did not just rise from the dead and zip back to heaven. He touched people here before he left. And we must come to understand that his life is contagious. It must spread until the entire world is alive. So now the the purely post-millennial portion of that is the very last sentence um until the entire world is alive but whether you're post-millennial all-millennial that first chunk of that paragraph is where we should live and rejoice like christ came into this world mm-hmm. these things these things happened in this world the one that we are recording a podcast on you know yeah. um and He came into this world to save this world, to renew it, to redeem it, to break the curse of sin, and one day we'll get to see that, but it won't be, um, it's, it's, the glory of it is that he can transform and renew and resurrect this world, um, not that he will simply have to cut it off one day and start over again because it gets too bad for him to handle or something. Right. So that's a um, I mean just sometimes we sometimes we just need to stop and think about that you know just the concreteness of our faith the reality that it's easy to forget um, because of how how much time separates us maybe from the scriptures it seems but uh, these things really happened in this world you know that, yeah. <laughs> that we're on.
1: Yeah. Well, and also, if you had the fact of like it says in John five twenty six, this is location four nine one. If you are reading on Kindle, it says like John five twenty six. He came to give life. So like that life Mm -hmm. started then of giving life. It wasn't a just for a time giving life and then ending that life or or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. But he came to give and make new and make life happen now, Um, not in some future only present reality
0: mm. yeah um, <clears throat> yeah very cool this um that chapter was one of my favorites and chapter five was also one of my
1: favorites yeah if we had we go going to chapter five um, okay so there's a spot in the which is god the word logos is not the arm of eastern mysticism he's not smudge everything he articulates it he speaks it our lord encompasses and embodies and exhibits everything that we, that words do, exclamations, sentences, poems, stories, parables, sermons, lectures, novels, whispers, conversations, propositions, questions, and more poetry. God speaks and we are called to listen. Um, I think I just was interesting the way he wrote it. Like this is different than everyone else. Like if you read through John one, which is obviously meant to correlate or written the same manner as Genesis one, one, like in the beginning, mm-hmm. like this is also like a recreation moment of like this coming in an evasion to recreate bring life again, not mm-hmm. out of the destruction, necessarily old of like what we would view as destruction and judgment, but it's the evasion of the lifetime to give life to the next one. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting how he put all these kind of things together and jumbles them. I'm saying he speaks in all these things in ways that we're used to hearing him. If we, but we're just called to listen um hmm. and nothing is really lost in translation yeah um when he came flesh uh he became one of us to speak as one of us to give us life as a representative um so yeah i don't know i just find it was interesting the way it was written it's different than everything else that we have yeah throughout history as far as gnosticisms and also you have this goes against the Gnostic reality of like this world's only passing away. I think some, we can fall into that reality somewhat of like this world is evil only. And there's nothing really good in it. Um, But that's not true either. Like there's plenty of things like to build in and not everything material is evil. And um, even as Christians, we can easily fall into that if we don't have this resurrection mindset of like, no, we are all things are made new. We are made new. We can are made new to enjoy the gifts that God has given us. Yep. Um yeah. It's I guess just once again, the other the other mindset all Christians should agree on. I think in a sense we do. Um, but do we live out that reality in the way we actually look, build, um, look at our lives, act around our neighbors and actually build for the future.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Just those kind of things.
0: Yeah. Um I uh switching into verse f- or chapter five. Um this, uh, the title of this chapter is Inexorable Love. The subtitle is that the world might, th- the world through him might be saved. Quoting John 3, 17. Um, and I, I loved how sort of the reading that he put on of this verse, cause I never would have thought of it in this way. And I think it's a pretty faithful reading of it that now we, I tend to read it very well connected with verse 16, meaning God did not, God didn't send his, Jesus here to just condemn us, but to give us an opportunity for saving. That's how I tend to read it. But kind of the way that he leans into it is God didn't send Jesus here to just judge and fail. He sent Jesus here to successfully save. Hmm. Um and i think that this this passage here obviously we all know john 3:16 that the he says the reason christ came into the world was to save it and most emphatically his mission was not to try to save it mm-hmm. and i think that we do need to be careful no matter what your no matter what your theological persuasion might be you do need to be careful of Treating God as if He just tries to save the world, but He might not be able to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we want to be bounded by Scripture, so we don't just want to base things on you know kind of vague ideas. But I think that there's something pretty biblical about trying to want to stay away from that danger of thinking too small of God, and certainly it wouldn't be small of God if He so saw fit to not save this world, that wouldn't mean that he was incapable of it. It would mean that he chose not to, right? Mm -hmm. But when we have verses that talk about him trying to, talk about his purpose in doing it, it does potentially, maybe we should then consider, well, he's gonna be successful at it. Yeah, God, God isn't gonna lose. So now it just becomes a verifying that that is his plan. Not that he has the power to do it or the ability to do it.
1: Well, I guess also, if we have the standpoint of if the Lord is sovereign and he does what he says he'll do, and we have times in looking throughout the Bible, throughout history of examples of him doing it. Why would we think it'd be any different now after the resurrection, which quite honestly is a way bigger thing than anything else? Like, yes, like the parting in the Red Sea and all the plagues are huge and amazing. But comparatively speaking, the resurrection is bigger Mm -hmm. um, from every standpoint. Yeah. Um, Like, it just, yeah.
0: Yeah. speaking um, Speaking of views of the atonement and what Christ did on the cross, I love this breakdown talking about what the atonement is. He says, there are two popular choices, both bad. Popular evangelicalism wants the atonement to touch every last man, woman, and child. But in order to get it to do so, the touch needs to be ineffectual. On the other hand, pessimistic Calvinists want want the touch to be potent and effectual for a few hundred people. But we are called to preach an effectual cross, an efficacious cross, which will manifest itself among all who hear and all will hear in nothing less than the salvation of the entire world. This salvation is secured by faith. For the promise that he would be there, the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Romans 4.13. And the reason I like that is because it's it is a rebuke of how we can misunderstand the atonement, and we shouldn't have a problem saying that salvation will reach the whole world. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't have a problem saying that because God says it's going to happen. And whenever we say that, we don't mean every person uniformly will be saved. Right. We mean that we mean what the old hymn says, right? That Christ came to make his blessings known as far as the curse was found. Right. So, wherever the curse has been, Jesus' salvation and his blessings are going to flow.
1: Right. And that doesn't change, I guess, the efficacy of that or the effectualness of that for those that are saved now versus who will be saved later like the timeline of it all as far as we do time mm-hmm. it doesn't change that perspective yes. but it does seem yeah. awfully like the way you, the way it's always spoken and i know how i said it, it does feel more pessimistic than yeah because we basically it sounds more like you don't you just write off the fact of even if you have this view or on um, like i mean as we both the mill and mill are very similar in many fronts um but if we believe that the Christian kingdom is advancing and he does say that we'll cover the entire world as the floods cover the waters. There is an affectious level that we haven't seen yet and it yeah. will still build and that affection will grow in a way that we can't understand right now, I guess. Like the amount of that being actually impacting people is something that won't will grow over time. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, Versus this one moment of history or that later, earlier. I don't
0: know. Yeah. The the other things that go in, he goes farther into the atonement. He talks about the three understandings of the atonement. Um, there are three sort of theories of the atonement and what mm-hmm. Christ uh, did on the cross. And he's right to say that if we take one of these views by themselves, we start to drift toward mm-hmm. a rejection of the actual atonement. One is... Um, uh, what is it? The first view is, um, Christ died as ma- a substitute. Yeah. Christ died as a substitute, which is, penal um, substitution. I would penal substitutionary atonement, which we would both say probably is like, if this is a, if this is like a three legged stool, this is like the most important leg somehow. Um,
1: <laughs> the one closer to the middle, I <laughs> yeah, guess, or- I guess,
0: I don't know. Like it's, um, it certainly is the most fundamental. Um, so that's just the understanding that Christ, Paid the price for sin on the cross. Now the second view is now it's important to say without that leg of the stool you don't have the gospel. Right, you do not have it. You can have the other ones. You can have the other ones. The rest of the Bible. The other ones. You can have the rest of the Bible and those the two, and they don't. You don't have the gospel. Yeah, you don't. That's have why. Rep. Right. That's why it's like the most important. I would say, um, but it needs the other two sort of as an explanation. And so, now the other view is like Christ leaves us an example when he died on his cross that we should follow in his footsteps, that we should be sacrificial like <sighs> Christ is. Um, so, that's true. It just can't be the only thing that's true, right? Mm-hmm. And then the third view is Christ being the victor, which means that Jesus is not just um, paying the price, but he's also triumphing. He's winning, um, which is obviously biblical as well. It's just not biblical by itself.
1: Yeah, and so well, ultimately, without the first one, you don't have this big of a reason to triumph. I guess if that makes sense. exactly. I mean, you yeah. do and you don't. It's just there's a more to the triumph than just that yes. aspect.
0: Part of the victory is the salvation, is the paying of debt, is yeah. So. Um, then Paul in Colossians 2, um, talks here in Colossians 2, 3. Um, this is, this is a pretty fundamental passage. So he says, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it. But in that verse, you have um, Jesus functioning as a prophet, showing us the way to go. He has Jesus as a priest making the payment for sin, and we have him as a king triumphing over enemies. So uh, he goes on to say, Doug, this brings us to the question of the new humanity in the old princes. There will be more on this in the next chapter, which we'll talk about to come, but we have to touch on it now. Jesus was not murdered in private by thugs, only to come back from the dead in secret with a select band of followers being told to whisper the news to another handful. Um, no, he was executed publicly by the authorities and he rose from the dead in such a way as to declare his absolute authority over all the kingdoms of men and over everything that they contain. We have to learn how to see the cross in these terms, which is what Paul is insisting in our text. When we preach Christ crucified, Doug goes on to say this, we are preaching the hope and glory of the world, and what God has prepared for us who love Him here on this earth has not begun to enter the heart of man. What is God preparing to pour over this whole planet? What is He planning to give us? Uh, What is... He's, what is his saving intent for the world? He is going to inundate our sorry and sinful world with the deep things of God. When the earth is finally as full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea, those seas will be infinitely deep. And thinking about the greatness of the Great Commission, you do not have to worry about overdoing it. And so he says the crucifixion is power because it's, it is not just Jesus doing something in secret, but it's actually Jesus conquering and Jesus winning Jesus overcoming the authorities, the rulers, the principalities of this world. Um, And so, there's, he goes on to talk about righteousness and how Jesus judges the world in righteousness, which is an interesting concept. But the one thing I want to focus on for real, really quick about this public victory that Jesus had is... That goes to say that he does have a claim on the world right now. Mm-hmm. He he has a claim on the world right now. Jesus is judging the world in righteousness. What that means, this is a phrase that I never really understood in scripture whenever Jesus talks about judging the world in righteousness. And uh Wilson explains it as saying that he judges the world In righteousness by showing us what actual righteousness looks like. Mm -hmm. So, without Christ, we have no standard. We have no actual righteousness. We make it up. Men have their little man-sized kingdoms and they try to do things their own way. Jesus having actual righteousness and giving us that standard in his word and also validating it by victory in the cross shows us what real righteousness looks like, which means we ought to live today as though that real righteousness has been revealed if that makes sense yeah and that's where it crosses into that's where it crosses into so many of the questions we have today about what is just and unjust that's where that's where it does crowd into our politics at times or it ought to Um, because jesus didn't merely save us individually he also is establishing the new justice the new order of the world that he made. Mm -hmm. And that goes to the great commission. I mean, he, he says we are to teach and baptize the nations. We're to Mm -hmm. disciple the nations about how to obey everything that he uh, commanded us to obey. And so that leads to this understanding that we should not just preach the gospel as a, A gospel of the cross but it's also a gospel of the kingdom that has come through the cross and the kingdom that is coming through the cross and that just i think that goes back kind of full circle to the belief of the resurrection that we talked about earlier that it's a difference if you're if it's only a gospel of the cross you are sort of preaching a gospel that only looks back Mm -hmm. but we're saved towards something
1: right
0: and we've been given a gospel a good news of a kingdom coming not mere not only a cross that has already been done
1: yes so what well, i just like the idea that if you read through that chapter you sit there and say there's no really overdoing it why is there no overdoing it it's because you it's already the most it's already the biggest thing so you can't reduce it you can't overdo anything nothing we do on the side of heaven can ever be bigger than that, I guess. Or that like, he talked about like there, we must declare the ramifications of this stupendous fact that like, this is a public thing. And so with this public resurrection, he's saying, all this is mine again. Um, This, I'm the representative. I'm the federal head and now I'm taking back what is rightfully mine. Mm -hmm. What sin has marred is not marred anymore. And that's what we're called to build and declare as reigning now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He, um, one of the last quotes in this chapter that I think is so cool. He, he says the death of Jesus was an act of love as all evangelicals confess. We all agree about that, but he says, we must come to a larger view. It was an act of love for the entire world and everything it contains, not just an act of love for a select few that's where it goes back to what was the atonement doing? You know, was it mm-hmm. just for a few people or was it for the whole world? And it was salvific for the people it was salvific for, but it was also for the whole world in that it redeemed the whole world. Um, so, this final paragraph, he says, he came to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And that is pretty far in our legislative halls and our courts and our streets, Jesus, the crucified one, did not come in order to judge the world, but that the world might be saved. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And if, if we believe that this, if we believe that this world is ultimately sort of meaningless to God and it's just going to be replaced, then it is easy to sort of lose track of God's influence over the world that we live in today. You know we just go right. about our business and we just keep rolling along but if we believe that god cares about this world and um is is working his mission in this world then we believe that we can take ground and fight for truth and love and justice and life in the world around us um and we can believe that it's going to work and we can believe that it matters to god so
1: right yeah I think that's something I, he mentions um i think just with everything as far as the political climate goes lately i've been yeah. more so praying for the fact of like and i'm reading through like so that's stanza three of joy to the world by isaac watts like no more no more let sins and sorrows grow nor thorns infest the ground he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found yeah love um that. yeah and like we sing this song at christmas and but we don't think about it from the rest of the world. Like, this is. This is the promise of redemption. This yeah. is what the public ramifications of his public resurrection hold. And that's just not for our own private, precious lives, our, our private, precious Christian faith, but that private faith should then go out and impact your communities, your jobs, your relationships, mm-hmm. your, your neighbors, um, and our courts and our legislative halls. When the way yeah. we pray for our leaders and the way we vote for our leaders and the way we speak to everyone around us everything must come back to the fact of we are called to advance this yeah great stupendous fact that the lord reigns and that wherever the curse is found on earth it will be gone
0: yeah yeah and that's i mean i think that's a good place to end it because we were going to go quick and man we must have been rusty but we must have had plenty to say i think
1: yeah, I um, just looked at the clock. This has almost been like almost a full hour. We haven't done a full hour app a long time.
0: Oh my goodness. People but are
1: probably tuned out.
0: I just want to say, like, again, disclaimer you can be non post millennial, you can be dispensational and still have optimism and you can still care about justice, you can still care about the world. But yes. it, I think it's a fair c- critique to consider. Respectfully, and I do say this respectfully, um, consider if your beliefs accord with caring about those things, right? Like, do, do, your, do, do your theological foundations um, line up with the belief that God can and does and should exert influence over this mm-hmm. world? Yeah. That he, That it can and should and does exert influence over how we live, what we're called to do. Um what standards we should apply to the world that we live in right now. Mm-hmm. so and it, yeah that's that's a thing that we ought to consider as Christians, but that verse from Isaac Watts is one of my favorites for a good reason um because it is uh pretty cool that he comes mm-hmm. to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. So this has been uh, chapter four and five. Chapter six and seven, maybe that'll be a full hour too. I don't know. Who knows? We'll see. We're not
1: recording that right now, so
0: <laughs> we're not. No, we, we got to uh, we got to hit the hay and everything. So yeah,
1: you got any uh, recommendations? Uh, I did have one. I actually was thinking about what it was. I can't remember what, what it is. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, we've been trying to get back to. Um, it's been. Make sure. I guess my recommendation is teach your kids to, to pray and like that's mm. something that something right now. So we have Micah's too, and I don't, he obviously doesn't understand everything. Um, yeah. But having him say, dad, we have to pray or like, we want, I want to sing. Jesus loves me. Um, Great. And I also know that it's him sort of trying to milk bedtime a little bit, yeah. but I'm like, well, oh. I'm going to, I'm going to, if this is what we're going to milk, I guess we'll milk this one for all it's worth right now. Yeah, This one's <laughs> fine. Yeah. Um, and that I think, goes into what we're talking about too, is the fact of, Building in the next generation um, to the fact of the things that are important, the consistency of prayer and singing songs of joy of what Christ has done for us and His love for us, uh-huh. and that's the small things we can do. Um, I think on a daily basis, just sitting there, okay, we're going to pray now, turn the TV off, or after done reading a book, and just take the time to do those things.
0: Yeah, that's good, very good. Well, and um, I would just piggybacking on that, pray. Don't be afraid to pray consistently for big things. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one thing that this book and other sort of books in the vein teach me to do is like, you can pray for your country and you can believe that it matters. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the same time, you can pray just a reminder that I've had for myself in sort of the season that I've been in that I've been left very tired, um, just kind of emotionally worn out is you can also pray just never forget that when you're praying you're praying to your father you're praying to a good father and you can be honest and you can be you can ask god to bear your carry your cares and he does Mm -hmm. um yeah so there you go pray it's uh useful just fill that fill that quiver so fill that quiver up
1: man i feel like that's like (laughs) I feel like that's like a post mill cross politics ending right there. Yeah, Fill that quiver. i reset. Fill hasn't that been said.
0: Well, what we'll say instead is that we've we've done what we've always do, which is talk for an hour about two chapters of one book. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and a few other things.
0: And a few other things. I think we did all right. And yeah, uh, until good. next time, we'll see. Uh, we'll see you guys next how, time.
1: How are we signing off? I guess is the real question
0: and until next time we'll stop talking I love okay. that until so we stop. <laughs> yeah we should just maybe not say until next time we should just we
1: should just stop mid-sentence like you should start talking and just end it mid-sentence and then people think leave them, you don't know, leave them wanting more
0: I think we've done alright there's the last words right there
1: We can build something for the next generations if you will that's right boom i see what you did there you see what i did there that's actually something honestly going through this whole thing and getting more into the whole thing like hold on to it <sighs> hold on to it don't t- i was called a teaser in the radio world